and a good morning to you. A happy Thursday. It's Bruce and Judy. Thank you for spending some time with us uh, this morning on your way in. Hopefully it's going to be a little easier commute today than it was uh, yesterday. Uh, I as... sailed in. Yeah, there's there's nothing on the road. No, so I left about an hour um, and 15 minutes early and I got here exactly when I should have. I think uh, um, when it stops doing... Uh, Two o'clock ish around here, maybe mm. early afternoon or whatever, which obviously gave uh, everyone plenty of time to kind of clear. But it will be restarting, so yeah, there you think go. About that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so the awesome. uh, rush home might be a little bit. Yeah, I, you know what they say? It's not going to be as heavy. The snowfall, except it's going to be the same kind of thing though, all night long. For hours and hours until no. the snow again. No. So a couple more inches we could pick up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, what's a couple what's, more inches? What, what, would mean, you even you notice the me? difference? Add to the totals. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's like where you live in Alaska. I don't know if you heard the, the statistics the other day that um, traffic fatalities were up significantly last year. Um, and it was kind of an anomaly in the sense of uh, it ha- not as many people were driving. Um, a lot of folks working from home, if not all the time, some of the time. There weren't as many miles driven, but fatalities were up, which is kind of it. It, it runs counterintuitive, runs counterintuitive to the way you would you would think. Um, but the numbers are what they are. I think it's there were less cars on the road, which means people were able to go faster, which means when they hit something, they hit it harder. I, I think there's a, something to be said for that. But the reality is, is that most people, especially those that think they're super good drivers, aren't. And that uh, um, computers and machines, when you look per mile driven, are better drivers than humans because they don't drive distracted. Because they do follow the speed limit, you know, all these things, that, that, that they just are. But how close are we to self-driving trucks? The big rigs out there on the road. Apparently, we're a little bit closer today than we were yesterday. There was a congressional hearing, the Highway and Transportation Subcommittee, which uh, had a hearing yesterday and discussed automated vehicle deployment, trucks and buses Kind of specifically, which plays into right now we talk about supply chain shortage, there aren't enough truck drivers. This um, technology is moving forward even quicker these days. Well, like anything, right? I mean, they're still talking about it. There's a lot to do here. But, yeah, I mean, that's the that's the future when you think about it. I mean, 94% of serious accidents are caused by driver error. Yeah. When you look at those statistics, yeah. you can understand why lawmakers are at least talking about it. But on the other hand, there seems to... 6% it, are when the tire falls re- off. Yeah, right. Is that, yeah. I mean, exactly. I'm guessing it. What's the other? <laughs> you know, rolls right off the axle. You know, there's so much to wrap your head around here. I mean, how are you going to program a truck to, like, you know, follow a police officer's direction? Say there's an accident on the side of the road. And the cop's telling people where to go. You know, around the... Oh, they have just, that now. Yeah, it just... Well, that... Yeah, exists. Well, so then you you almost need a person, one person to be following that one truck, to be automating that. You know what I mean? You can, so you automate all your trucks. Mm-hmm. They go down. Self-driving. Like they, yeah. How are they going to know... How are they going to see a trooper making a, a sign go over here? Okay, so I rode in a self-driving cab, I guess. Oh, wow. Uh, like it's recall. a van. It's a van. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, it's called Waymo is the company, W-A-Y-M-O. And they are autonomous self-driving vehicles. And I, I got in it, and it drove from a parking lot all the way over to a mall, drove around the mall, and drove me back. And while there was somebody in the vehicle, they're still doing testing, they never once touched the steering wheel or the pedals. And the vehicle saw, it was interesting because they had like a screen of what the, what the, what the car is seeing. And it saw things that I didn't see. Uh, for example, we were driving along a, a little bit of a city street and there was a woman walking between two cars, parked cars, like going to her trunk. And it saw and detected her before she got to the car, and it slowed down and moved over a little bit so that she would have room, uh, and it would never get too close to her walking around the back of the car. I was like, I don't even think I'd have saw that lady. <laughs> I mean, not that I would have hit her. She didn't walk into the street. Sure. But the computer, the, yeah. the, the AI, oh, yeah. saw her and said, oh, let me move over a little bit. And it can see construction. It can see cones. It can see vehicles slowing down suddenly in front of you. can it take direction? Can it take direction on the road from something? That's what direction do you get driving down the road? I'm, I just gave you one. I, it, there's an accident on you know okay. I sixty five, and cars something. start slowing down. It would slow down. Okay, and then if a cop was there saying you got you got to go this way, you go that way, you go, you know, what I'm saying if it, how can it take direction from a person on the road? Does that happen often? I don't know. I've only been saying my cop told me pointed to know where to go. Yeah. Yeah, I will I say, mean, I have you know, been flagged down before from yeah. the side of the road when I was doing like 90 on I 80 going to Florida at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I just saw, I happened to look out of the side of my eye and saw the trooper standing there. And he's just like, throwing <laughs> <laughs> his arm. He's throwing his arm. Just wave. I know. He didn't, At even, this point, didn't even turn on the lights. I was like, ah. He's like, yeah, that's not even <laughs> worth chasing after. That's hilarious. Well, I'm so I just bring that up to say, I mean, there's a lot to get through here, right? This We're talking about it now, but I, I can't imagine seeing this for quite a few years still. It just seems to be so much. Oh, I think not we're a lot closer mention, to it than you can imagine. Not to mention, well, not when you think about the workforce that's going to. Well, that's the pushback. The pushback yeah, will be course. from truck drivers who see themselves getting getting out yeah. of a job. And and I'll point out, you know, the, the, again, I'm going to shout out to Pilot Mike. I won't mention what airline he flies for. Um, who said, you know, the dirty little secret about being an airplane uh, airline pilot is I don't fly the plane. The computer flies the plane. I sit there and watch the computer fly the plane. He says, I'm, I, he goes, I, the joke amongst them is I'm not a pilot. I'm a systems management operator. Mm-hmm. And he and said, when do they go away? Well, he goes, we went from three in the cockpit to two in the cockpit. The only reason we have two in the cockpit is in case one of us drops dead. Uh, You know, he goes, that, he goes, uh, he goes, why do you even need one though? I'm saying when do, when do, when? He goes, he taxis the airplane. He goes, I taxi from the gate and he goes, I operate the aircraft to the end of the runway. And he goes, and the plane will take off, go to altitude, Mm -hmm. land itself, drop itself down, and then I'll taxi it back. He goes, so basically, you know, he goes, I, I drive the airplane on the ground. He goes, but the airplane in the air? Nah, it doesn't need me. He goes, the computer drives it, does that. And the computer does it better than I can. Hey, John and Joliet, what issue do you see with it? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, I, I see some in, in, uh, companies implementing driverless trucks. If you're just hauling a dry van from a terminal to terminal, okay, that's one that's one thing. Sure. But say with tanker or flatbed, you need you still need a driver to get out and hook up hoses. Mm-hmm. To pump off a tanker or tie down a flatbed load. 
I don't think they're going to hire droids to get out and do all that stuff at all. Yeah. Or else if they do have them around, that'd be really expensive. So. But, you know, I could see but along those lines, though, you know, I could see something like, um, you know, the way stations you guys have to go through, uh, you know, that that there's some sort of a system where the Stand. autonomous driverless truck has to pull over and a human being, you know, ties everything down, hooks everything up, checks everything, you know, because I know you guys have to do safety checks on your vehicle and then, you know, thumbs up and truck drives off again. Although I'm I mean, kind of liking that droid idea. Ouch! R two D two. I'm liking it. I'm just like the visual is wow. Yeah. Yeah, but too loud. I still got a job to do. Yeah, yeah. here, here. I hear you. Uh, but you're driving your truck right now as well. Where, where do you see the uh, the breakdown in autonomous vehicles? Well, number one, look at the weather yesterday. Yeah. Uh, there would be absolutely zero autonomous vehicles driving yesterday's weather. So they, that's why they're always tested in California, Phoenix. Yeah. Never in the real world conditions. Okay. But they would only be uh, feasible as far as like the trucks that pull doubles. They have specialized yards where they drop off the doubles and then they're, you know, disconnected, mm -hmm. just hooked up to the single tractor. They would never be able to uh, deliver like to a hospital or something with five stops on it with 50 or $100,000 worth of merchandise at each stop. Who's to say that the one person from the one stop isn't going to steal the stuff? For oh, the next oh, stop? oh! I, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, you're going to so need somebody there to to, to to oversee the loading and unloading of the vehicle to get right. to confirm they would or never something. Be able to get in and out of a dock situation, other than like a specialized yard <laughs> now, uh, where they're able to just uh, drop it and then a spotter hooks up to it. Blah blah blah. But hold on a second. They would be good to an extent, similar to like the rail yards. But they would never be able to get in and do what I did yesterday, driving in yesterday's weather. I bet. Uh, and I wake up at 3.30 every day. I always try to get in when you guys ask who wakes up so early. But, but, oh. and Butch, I can't back. I, I, I have a, a truck and trailer. I can't back mine into the, 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 the loading dock either. So well, yeah. I always tell people I can uh, parallel park a 53-foot trailer better oh. than I see 80% of people trying to get a car. And, and, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm, like a, I'm like a Swift driver when it comes to I'm kidding. I kid because I love. Okay? I know some of the jokes. Thanks, Butch. Appreciate it. How soon? are autonomous trucks coming maybe sooner than you think but we will we will find out and i would just say betting against artificial intelligence betting against uh automation uh hasn't turned out well uh for any other industry as well as uh, they suddenly managed to figure things around hey good morning a uh, happy thursday to you it's bruce and judy you're working nine to five today is that what you're doing all right i hear you um the rock and roll hall of fame has announced its uh nominees for induction for the the next class the 2022 class if you will now again these are the nominees not the inductees but the list of 17 artists includes some that have been there before and some other first time ones how is Dolly Parton not already in? But, you know, this it's is one of the things. It's me. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. And I've never in my life <laughs> ever heard someone go, we're going to the Rock and Roll concert. Which one? Dolly Parton. Right. Yeah, but there's a It's ton not the Music Hall of Fame. I've never understood this about it. Yeah, there's a ton. So there's a ton of people in it. If it's the Music rockers. Hall of Fame, then yeah. Then yeah, you got to have it. Yeah, but I mean, she's. It's not the, she wouldn't be the first one. By that standard, right? There are a no. ton of people in there, so but none of it makes sense from yeah, that standpoint. But, uh, but it's all we have, right? 
What else is there? Well, I think they've run out of rock and roll acts. I think yeah. it's, you know, <laughs> that are worthy of a This one, yeah. Fog Hat, is going in. All right, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> we've run out of acts. We don't, we don't we have a pop star Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? Right. It's only the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's all we have. It should but... be the Music Hall of Fame. Don't you think they should change yeah, the, the name of it? Sure. Right. That's, Artists, I think that's musician. what we understand it is anyway. Right. Because I, and I don't even think about rock and roll when I think of the... Well, I certainly don't think of rock and roll when I think of Dolly Parton, but she uh, heads the list. Eminem is on there. Again, not M&M, necessarily totally rock and roll. I think of him as a current artist. Like, shouldn't you have to, like, be a little bit removed, you know? I mean, I don't think of Eminem as, you know, oh, you know, he's getting up there in years. You know, I, I mean, uh, I, I don't think of him as Hall of Fame worthy well, He hasn't yet. done enough? I love I, him. Lionel Richie? Okay, okay, I guess I can get Lionel Richie. Lionel Richie? Yeah. Wait a second! You just just Eminem and Dolly Parton, and you're gonna accept Lionel Richie? Well, he's old. Yeah, he's probably got some crossovers. He's old. Yeah. This is rock, I, man. I come hear, on. Yeah, yeah, I want to hear his <laughs> rock song. Uh, Duran Duran. That's interesting. Oh, Duran. I mean, they had sure. a ton of hits. Oh yeah. They, I mean, you think about I think them. They're rock and roll. They're, they're, yeah, they're oh, a new wave. Yeah. 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 Okay. I don't. Some of them, though, I don't get. It's it strikes me that maybe there's one of these. It's just an honor to be nominated, right? Yeah, you right. know, they, <laughs> like you have no, Beck. Really, Beck. Uh, listen, nice guy, super nice guy. Spent time with him. Really fun dude. Not sure that he gets to that level. I mean, Loser was a great song. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Beck? I'm st- I'm trying to wreck my brain trying to even think of it. Oh. You don't know Beck? Come I'm on. sure I do. I don't know the names of songs. Rage Against the Machine? I, yeah, okay. I mean, I think of them as kind of trailblazers in a certain sense. Sure. And, and, you know, Well, people- but that's what this is all about. Right. It's trailblazing, right? It's what how you changed Beck. the culture. <laughs> well, at the time, how that's I think that's what a lot of it's about. What they did and how they changed the music to a huge group of people at the time. Yeah. I just... Don't get me What wrong. about, like, is R.E.M. in there? Because one could argue they were the first alternative rock yeah, band. Yeah, I think they so, are. But does that count? Because it's not exactly rock and roll. It's alternative rock. Did you know that other nominees include Devo? Devo. Nice. <laughs> I think the hat should now, get its own D- entry. Devo, now you, but you could say... Devo was okay. They were unique, certainly. I'll give them that, and I happen mm-hmm. to like them. But yeah, Devo, wow. Eurythmics, oh yeah, oh yeah. Really? Annie Lennox, sure. Mm, yeah. Why not? Why, why not? not? At this, why why not? Not? At this point, <laughs> well, that's who, maybe the list is who shouldn't be in. I'm a little dis- is is Foghat really not in? Because I do love Foghat. Unreal. We found the Foghat fan. Yeah, okay, I've, I've been listening to Foghat since I was. Wow. Yeah. That, I do not know. Hey, Terry in Indiana, is it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame if Dolly Parton is going in? Well, how many in the Grand Ole Opry? Say that. One, say it again, real quick. You broke up a little. How many rock and roll people eh? are in the Grand Ole Opry, yeah. which is the country music side? Basically, the Country Music Hall of Fame is the Grand Ole Opry, right? I, you I, got I, it, my friend. And I got to believe that Dolly Parton has been in that for probably 30 years. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, if, if, if not 40. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I was trying to be nice. Okay, I was trying to be nice. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, but there isn't exactly like a pop music Hall of Fame. 
you know. Because isn't rock and roll kind of pop music in its own way? It was the pop music of its time. Exactly. That's what was because yeah, if mean, pop what, music is popular music, then right. We yeah. have to. Yeah, we have when to you have say a rock discussion and roll, about what a, is rock and there's roll. There's an image that comes to my head, and Dolly Parton and Eminem are not rock and roll to me. Who is the most rock and roll? Guy, you can think a person, rock and roll guy, guy singer, yes. Sing, singer, and Elvis, any per- Elvis, Mick Jagger, <laughs> Mick Jagger. Elvis. I wouldn't. Yeah, I would. I thought the Stones. Elvis invented yeah. rock and roll, at least for white people. Yeah, <laughs> but see, I don't. Most people wouldn't think of Elvis as rock. They would think really? of Rolling Stones, the Maybe, those yeah. kind of big rock bands. Yeah, Beatles, Zeppelin, yeah. Zeppelin. Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. That's rock and roll. That is rock and roll. But that, my point is, I think they've run out of those bands. When will Marty McFly get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for effectively inventing rock and roll in Back to the Future? <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this? <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, he's my ultimate. That would that's, be to that's me your rock, rock and, and roll, roll man. He would be my rock. Your and blue roll collar man. New Jersey boy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's such a. It's just. It's so broad now. It's. By the way, Foghat has not been inducted yeah. into the Hall of I'm sorry. I had to, I had to look it up. I, I, mean, think I, I, they were, <laughs> I think they were a nominee, though. I mean, they should be. They were nominated. The reason I bring up Foghat is there was an MTV Music Awards, and I think I was I I was attending it, which is why it stands out to me. And Jim Carrey came out to. Do a, uh, uh, you know, to do a presentation. But he came out dressed as a hippie. And he had like the leather vest with the fringe on and he had the rose colored glasses. And he walked up and I'm like, I think that's Jim Carrey dressed as a hippie. And, and he said, MTV goes, I just got one thing to say to MTV, man. Would it kill you to play a fog hat video every once in a while? <laughs> <laughs> and I just think, that was one of the funniest damn jokes I'd ever heard. And so for any time somebody says that, uh, Fog Hat is my go-to, not knowing that, that uh, uh, DJ Tom over here is a huge Fog Hat fan. Okay, that is rock and roll. I don't disagree. Yeah. There are a lot of artists out there that, that are not in, and maybe for a variety of different reasons. And i got to believe that there's something kind of along the lines of, you know, that, that they do it on purpose. You know, we got to have a little bit of. Con- if you didn't have some controversy, well, yeah. You know, then then what good would it do? It's like yeah. the sports. Uh, what what's that called? The sports hall of fame, the baseball hall of fame. Sure, yeah, baseball. You hall know, of how fame. many years everyone's like, "Oh my God, so and so didn't get in." Right, there's right, always right. controversy. Keeps yeah. people interested. Yeah, I mean, you're going to induct the. Uh, you're talking about Beck being nominated, but the Smiths. Soundgarden, uh, yeah, are not in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, so there seems to be a lot of, uh, you could argue, big bands, influential bands. Maybe Pat Benatar gets. I think I, I could oh, see Pat, Pat Benatar. Oh, yeah. She's, she's a rocker. She's yeah. a big rocker. I could get that. You should have the Bruce St. James Rock and Roll Hall. <laughs> oh, goes without a say. Well, it, I would, I would, I can determine who's rock and roll and who's not rock and roll. By the way, Dolly Parton, not rock and roll. Not wouldn't be on that list. Not right? on that list. No, no disrespect. Lionel Richie, fantastic. Not rock and no, roll. Lionel Richie, not rock and roll. No. I agree with that. Yeah. Eminem, not no rock one and ever, roll. Again, no one ever was at a Lionel Richie concert. You rock. No, I just don't. 
I don't. Well, Dolly Parton's been in the Grand Old Opry since Hall of Fame, if you will, since 1969. 69? I gotta say 53 years. Yeah. <laughs> Still time for it. our criminal of the day, and I gotta give a shout-out to Daniel Asif, uh, Daniel Asif of Las Vegas, Nevada, who took the phrase, raise hell and praise Dale to an extreme. Allegedly, Asif was driving the wrong way on I-215, the beltway that circles Las Vegas. He was involved in and caused multiple crashes before he was stopped, and thankfully, no one was seriously injured. At his initial court hearing, Mr. Asif had a unique defense for his actions. Was it A, I'm British and became confused as the proper side of the road? B, I may have had a few in me and couldn't read the signs. Or C, the ghost of Dale Earnhardt Sr. made me do it. You See? guessed it. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel testified his wrong-way jaunt was a direct result of the spirit of seven-time NASCAR champion Dale Earnhardt Sr. telling him to do it. Earnhardt died in 2001 in the last lap crash at the Daytona 500 and was unavailable for comment. Mr. Asif told the judge the intimidator made him drive into oncoming traffic on purpose in an attempt to get the mayor's attention and bring NASCAR back to Las Vegas. Side note, NASCAR is in Las Vegas. It's worth noting that Asif reportedly had heroin and methamphetamine in his system at the time of the incident, but no trace of the ghost of Dale Earnhardt Sr. was found. Mr. Asif faces charges of attempted murder driving under the influence and battery with a deadly weapon and for using the old dale senior made me do it uh, excuse you daniel asif are the bruce st james show criminal of the day all suspects described above should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law no matter how crazy they are hey good morning to you and a happy thursday here's what's coming up tower what is your weird collection we'll tell you about a family who found a wall of 1600 baseball cards in their house coming up at 645 and after the bottom of the hour, CTU President Jesse Sharkey will not seek re-election as head of the uh, union. What does this mean for the union going forward? And can we at least have fewer strikes? And would you take free land if it meant you had to live in Kansas? We've got how you can get a home, <laughs> home on the range in just a few minutes. But first, Governor Pritzker laid out his plan for the future of Illinois yesterday at his State of the State Address and joining us to break it all down and how it might affect you and your pocketbook, former chairman of the Illinois Republican Party, Pat Brady. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Uh, so far, hey. so good. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year, you too. It seems like yesterday's State of the State Address, there was a certain part of State of the State, I'm not going to deny that, but also a certain part of it was... Uh, like a re-election campaign, uh, <laughs> laying out his commercial for, uh, uh, here's what I heard a lot. Illinois, you're welcome, Governor Pritzker. You know, like all the great things he's done for us. Yeah, it, this, this budget address in an election year is always a the kickoff of the political campaign season. Yeah. And, and that's what it was yesterday. And if you kind of dig into it, we were the beneficiary of $14 billion in federal funding which helped balance the budget, which the Constitution requires, which gave a, you know, a rosy picture for last, you know, the last budget. But this is a political document, and going forward, it'll be interesting to see how much he gets of what he was actually asking for yesterday. So it sounds like the American Rescue Plan rescued Illinois. Yeah, and that's, I think that's the Republican argument. I think there's some truth to that. It was, what, $14 billion on a $45 billion budget came into the state, and particularly at the state and local level, but made everybody uh, had a lot of uh, money in their bank accounts but going the, the 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 problem is the state historically has had structural deficits meaning mm -hmm. we spend more than we take in for for decades and now we have this 
huge debt. And there's nothing that I heard yesterday or seen in the last couple of years that indicates that that structural problem has been fixed. We're still spending more than we take in. So that, that problem kind of, it was like paying off your college kids' credit cards, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, they're paid off, but yeah. you know what? They're going to run them up again. Yeah. Hey, um, we're talking to Pat Brady again, our political analyst. And, you know, we we kind of had a conversation yesterday. We we're talking to the, uh, the folks from Wirepoints that, you know, what is the incentive for someone like Governor Pritzker? And, and I'm not picking on him uniquely. You can insert any other governor's name in there. What is the incentive for them? To not um, hand out bennies, to not use creative accounting tricks, especially in a re-election year when they're focused on the short term, the long term health of the state of Illinois, they're not going to get credit or blame for it. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the problem with the budgeting process. And that's been going on since the beginning of time where politicians are promising things to constituents. But uh, I think it's kind of funny that. It's pork if it's in somebody else's district. If it's in my district, it's important to my district. So that's, right. you know, they, they, they do this all the time. That's part of the process. But that's why we have elections every two years in the House. If, if people get too far away from what people want, you know, you vote them out. But I, I agree there's no incentive to do long-term budgeting when you're doing a short-term election cycle approach. Now, don't you think, though, that his $1 billion in cuts, tax cuts, you know, that's probably going to go a long way with a lot of voters. Oh, of course. But then in 2014, Mike Madigan kind of did the same thing right in the, around the budget time, promising a, a, a tax cut. Yeah, it, it does. But not everybody's happy with the uh, part of it's the motor fuel tax, which is supposed to go to build roads and bridges. So the people that are involved in that aren't happy with it. So, yeah, overall, <laughs> pro- probably. Probably people are happy with it, but it is somewhat, as Republicans said, Jim Durkin, the leader, said it, it, it's a gimmick, and we're not dealing with the structural deficit. The thing that's killing the state is we have an unfunded public pension liability of $130 billion, largest in the country. It takes almost up almost one-third of our budget, and he hasn't addressed that. The structural problems that are there all the time, he didn't talk about yesterday. Well, and, and Pat, that, you know, that kind of follows up. I mean, if, if, if Governor Pritzker were to solve the unfunded pension liability. But anybody care? I, 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 I understand. I get the, the, the fiscal uh, sword that's hanging over the head of Illinois. I understand it. I just don't think a lot of people care one way or the other because they don't think it affects them. You know, I couldn't agree more. And watching the speech yesterday, I, a couple of things. First of all, this is a lot more partisan of a budget address than oh. I've seen in, in past years, I thought. But the, the bigger point, Bruce, and I agree completely, I think the governor is a swing and a miss on what people care about right now. And the number one issue, or number one or two issue, I think particularly for Republican voters, crime. Yeah. There wasn't much talk about crime, and I think that's the number one issue in this election cycle. And the uh, the, the heavy-handedness at which the Democrats are handling kids in their school tell them to wear masks mm. when they're going to school, vaccines and thing like that, things like that. Those are big issues, crime and that uh, insertion into public education or, or education at all that suburban voters are really concerned about. We saw that in Virginia in the governor's race there. It, exactly. And you see it. You see it here. Uh, the, the, the group that's motivated, and that's what our election is all about, who's going to show up to the polls. 
right now are suburban women who are furious about crime and the government telling them how to educate their kids. So wow. to your point, exactly. I, I, the, the, the pension thing's been around forever. And it gets to be white noise after a while. Right. Yeah. But the real, the real acute problems now are crime and, and the government inserting themselves in kids' educations and healthcare. And again, $1 billion in tax cuts. I'm sure he's hoping that just overlays everything <laughs> else. Yeah, look this over here. Happening. This look isn't over happening. here. I'm going to give you a tax cut. I know you're upset about, you know, the masks and, the, you know, everything else. But look over here and you're going to get a tax cut. Yeah, but voters it, are going to vote their interests. And sure. even if, if that's out there, how much is that truly going to affect you? Probably not much. I mean, particularly the gas tax. I mean, gas prices are so dependent on other factors you could give a, a, a rebate on the gas tax or not impose the gas tax and gas could still be more expensive because the things aren't even in your control mm-hmm. point is i agree I, i'm not sure how much it's going to impact people but in his in the governor's defense these speeches at this point are always political there's always giveaways and it's always rosy i, I was just a little surprised as i said before how, how partisan um, the governor was towards the other side. Quickly, Pat, uh, what do you think his chances of re-election are? Well, he's already spent $25 million, and he's willing to spend whatever he's as, got. As much as it, it takes. <laughs> yeah, as much as it takes. And, that, and listen, on both sides, that's a sad commentary because when you do that, the activists don't engage because they don't feel they need to. So that's not a good development for democracy, I don't think. But he's an incumbent. He's got decent numbers. He's got a lot of money. Yeah, he's, he's probably got a pretty good chance of getting reelected. Yeah, and, and knocking off Pritzker will be an uphill climb. Thank you very much. We right, appreciate guys, your insight you. into it. He's uh, political analyst Pat Brady on uh, the state of the state, uh, what Governor Pritzker talked about, what he offered, and maybe more importantly, what he ignored, but, uh, what he didn't mention whatsoever, uh, crime and education. Hey, good morning. Happy Thursday. A little easier for you getting in today, at least I hope. Uh, and if you're out and about on the roads, uh, still be careful, but didn't have to be as careful as you were yesterday. Uh, Brian Judy with you. And, you know, when I think of Kansas, first off, I think of the band. Number two, I'll go to the state. Okay. And then when you think about the state of Kansas, okay, well, they've got like, uh, there's Wichita. Mm-hmm. There's Kansas City, Kansas which is a small suburb of Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, if, you, if you know anything about it, KCMO is a hell of a lot bigger than KCK. I'll throw Topeka in and pass that. I've got nothing. I, I, I've, and I've driven across Kansas, up, down, and along. There's a hell of a lot of just land. Flat, open land. As far as the eye can mm-hmm. see. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the state of Kansas is... I don't want to call it a popular destination yet, but it may get a lot more popular very shortly. Yes, you failed to mention Lincoln, Kansas. No, I, I didn't. Uh, yeah, okay. That's what this, there's an article on it. But yeah, um, apparently in Kansas, they're offering, I mean, they have a lot of small towns that have died, right? Probably in, uh, that's you like drive through them, they look like a lot ghost of towns, yes. almost. You go through, you know, when you're driving along one of those roads, and then they get like the 35 mile an hour. I do everything by how fast I can drive. 35 mile an hour, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is a speed trap. I'm coming up into some little town, and you drive through town, and that's and it. everything's boarded up, and and you know, there's there's nothing. nothing there's there. like one little yeah. gas station convenience store, and then okay, we can we can pick up the speed again. It's always the convenience store, right? It's still open. Hence the term convenience. I yeah. guess. Yeah. So these towns are, are off, you know, they're offering these really inexpensive homes for people to come back to these small towns and, you know, live a better life because you can buy a house for, you know, oh. 
It's unreal. $17,000 and yeah. fix it up. And now, obviously, it's a different way of life. Why, why are these da, towns... Da, da, da. <laughs> why are these towns doing so poorly? Because everyone left. So yeah. you have to... But I'm a small town, I, I, which is funny. I grew up in Chicago, but I love small towns. I always have. I, it's just my my, you know jam i'm just old school that way so this totally appeals to me now i wouldn't want to live in move into an, a town that was all boarded up though that's the problem well, the, well there's therein lies the rub right the business is left because there's no people well if the people come back well the business is fought like which one comes first mm. do you have to build the walmart before the people show up or do the people show up and then you build the walmart well, you, know you know what's what happening saying? people are buying the homes and opening businesses. Yeah. These are people from California, from San Francisco, who are tired of paying twelve thousand dollars a month for their, you know, mortgage, and they're moving here. And they've already they wanted to open a restaurant anyway or a coffee shop. So that's what's happening. They're going to these small towns, and they are opening the uh, the businesses, and that's appealing to a lot of people these days. Well, and I, you know, I, when you look into the reasoning behind it, it, it actually gets back to things like the Homestead Act, which I hadn't really thought of. You know, where the government was basically offering. Land free. for free if you would go and farm it and work it. And a lot of people, you know, packed up the wagon and went out and, and did it. And and Kansas, just as, as one example, boomed because of that. Well, farming looks very different today than it used to. And the, the mom and pop farmer has, has gone the way of the corporate farm, these mega farms, you know. Where maybe you had your hundred or two hundred acres that you farmed yourself to now these thousands of acres and, you know, uh, these, these big corporate farms. Well, when that happens, there's less farmers. Uh, you know, uh, uh, right. what, what used to be four farms is now one. Uh, okay. Well, that's a hell of a lot less people. And that's why these towns are drying up. I go to a, a lot of, I race in small towns. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, they don't put yeah. dirt tracks in the middle of, of Chicago. Uh, <laughs> One small town I love is Knoxville, Iowa. Not Tennessee. Oh, no. Knoxville, Iowa. Where is that? 45 minutes outside of Des Moines, now that you mention it. Uh, It's part of the greater golden triangle, I call it. (laughs) Knoxville, Pella, and Oscaloosa. Uh, Pella. Everybody knows Pella Windows and Doors and the uh, Tulip Festival. But uh, I remember... So I go to to Knoxville multiple times a year and and race. and, And... you, you know how you're at the grocery store and you get like that little paper, you know, the, the real estate. And I'm looking at it and go, oh, sweet Jesus. I could have 20 acres, five bedroom. Look at the size of that garage. I'm sorry. Is that 150000 is all you want for that? I'm like, are you guys wow. serious oh, yeah, about the that? The prices are crazy. Are you guys man. crazy? I'm like, I'm yeah. the, but the problem is. I move here. Okay, now what? The problem is you have to live in Oskaloosa. <laughs> yeah, now what? How am I yeah. going to make a living doing that? But I can see where people who who want to get away, well, that makes perfect sense. And who aren't, yeah, who, well, I guess if you have, I mean, a lot of these towns, they have schools. They have, you know, they're viable. But, yeah, it sounds like it's a lot of people who are in that stage of their life where they want to just live more cheaply, they they want, they want to breathe, right? They don't want to have to worry about these huge bills, and maybe they want to open up their own little business. And I think that's the way they're going to get people to come, right? Yeah. Because these towns supported, like you said, they supported you know the farming community. So a lot of the town was based on that. Geared towards stores agriculture. And, yes, agriculture. Yeah, they, You've got to change the whole system. Yeah. And I think you know, and then and that's that's how towns flourish. Then right? Yeah. So I so just it's kind of a chicken and egg argument, though. Right. Which comes first? 
Right. Right? I think it's what in economics they call the Kevin Costner problem. Okay. And and I don't remember that from Econ 101, but do do explain it. Uh, I believe the phrase is, if you build it, they will come. come, right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I got a million of them. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I got to wait for Nick to... I, my favorite part is you're laughing, so I got to uh, do that. Hey, good morning and a happy Thursday to you. Well, you're not going to have old Jesse Sharkey to kick around anymore. Jude, the uh, head of the Chicago Teachers Union, announced that uh, he will not run for re-election as president of the union and will be leaving in, quote, a couple of months. Well, you got to wonder, did the job just wear him down? <laughs> I mean, he did have to oversee, what, three uh, job actions, as they say? During his tenure, yeah, and um, yeah, I, I, you know, and his, I've n- worked in the city for a long time. Never have I seen such a contentious relationship between the CTU and the city. Well, I, you know, uh, and by that I mean the mayor, mayor's mm-hmm. office. My only thing is, I guess you could say, well, gee, it's a chance for some new, th- a, a new, uh, um, uh, tack, new blood, uh, new blood, but. Why would really I not. think that the next person up is going to be any different from the last? Yeah, here's why them. you think that. Because the next person up is going to be the person probably directly behind him. Right. And that shouldn't be, you know. And we, we just heard about a group, um, something. Teachers committee. First Caucus. Yeah, First members Caucus. First yes, caucus. yes, Members First Caucus that, you know, they're really interested in, in pushing to get someone else at the, at the head of the CTU. And this might, this would be a great opportunity to do that. But yeah, is it going to just be typical Chicago politics? And the yeah. next person up will just serve and nothing will change. And because many people, I think, would tell you that the person behind Sharky is, you know, pulls a lot of the strings too. Um, Stacy Gates. Gates. Yeah. So, and when they talk about this as a stepping stone to politics, to maybe the mayor's office, her name is mentioned a lot. Right. So that might even be a, a just way like to Karen get her. Lewis. Right. Mm. Exactly. Well, and because you show up with all these votes in your back pocket. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, that's how that's how it works. That's uh, that's the whole concept behind it is that you uh you whip the union members into into voting for you uh in some way shape or form because they believe it's in their uh their best interest. This may come as a huge shock to people. You parents who um have children in Chicago public schools you know the teachers don't go on strike everywhere else? Do, do you know that that's not normal? Like, even remotely normal? Like, in there are places where where if you say, remember when the teachers went on strike? And they go, you mean back in 1936? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like it, it's not something that happens. You During know? the Dust Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and in Chicago, it's like, well, it's another month. The teachers must be having some sort of a work stoppage, outage, complaint, whatever it might be. It's never ending. And I have no faith whatsoever that the next person up is going to fundamentally yeah. change that relationship. They have, you know, it's like they have a, a a game book, right? And that's how they operate. I'll tell you, I have three children who all went to school, kindergarten through college, but let's say kindergarten through high school in the suburbs. Never once no. did I experience a strike. Yeah, we had crazy. a strike in Glenview when I was a kid. Oh, my goodness. Oh, really? That must have been yeah. good, nice. How long? Uh, I've 
About a month. When month you were a half. kid, really? Wow, yeah. a month? I think, I think it was that long. It seemed never, that long. <laughs> K through 12, no. I, you know, I, I went to school. No, no, never ever had teachers go on strike. Yeah. Hmm. You know? Interesting. It just wasn't a thing. I, 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 you know, it's kind of like air traffic controllers. Didn't know they could. Uh, yeah. You know, I was like, what do you mean? Go on strike from what? Are you allowed to do that? Um, here, Here is, so what would it take? To have a different attitude, if you will, as opposed to strike first, it's a strike last. Is it this group inside of the teachers union? Are there more? We, if you looked at the numbers, because there is no set thing, the, 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 Maybe 20% of the teachers are not in favor of these work stoppages all the time and this contentious um, uh, relationship with the city. 20% ain't enough to uh, drive the union in another direction. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, this is the opportunity, right? I, the door has been open. And when we talk about their power base, of course, it's it's their members. It's the teachers. Well, I think the past two years, we've seen a little bit of a, a shift in that we've seen you know it, it was 99 percent when they would vote for a strike it was i mean nobody right voted right, right, right right there no, was no dissent yeah no dissent and so even if instead of voting they're just some teachers are just not voting which i think is the first step to voting no so you know i think we had one here where it was a 30 percent didn't even take the time to vote that didn't happen. That's like a protest in that, and of itself. That it seems to me because in the past when you had these past, and believe me, every CTU leader has been just a staunch leader. I mean, they ruled with an iron fist. Uh, good or bad, that's how it was. And you fell in line. There was never any dissension mm. within the ranks. I feel like there's a little bit of dissension in the ranks. You know, teachers have, have uh, it is interesting when you think about kind of the, the way we look at teachers. You know, I think there are some some truisms that we all believe about teachers. Again, it's a bit of a calling. You want to be a teacher. You didn't get into it because you, you think you're going to be a millionaire. You know, it's not about the money um, uh, uh, that you um, there is this concept that they're kind of generally underpaid, maybe underappreciated. You know, uh, we pay people a million dollars to catch a football. Why, why don't we pay your teacher? You know, you get all that stuff. But when you're constantly at the throat of the city, when you're constantly inconveniencing parents for issues that they don't agree with, that they aren't in lockstep with you, you start to burn off all that goodwill. And, and I think that, that what the CTU hasn't recognized, and probably never will, is that while that 99%, you know, that used to be in lockstep as union members, there probably were a lot of members of the community that were with them as well going, you know what, you're right, these teachers need to stand up for themselves, they need to do this, mm -hmm. you know. You know I, I, I think they're, they're burning off their goodwill. Yeah. And you're finding more and more people saying, screw those teachers. And maybe the teachers themselves are just trying to, they're removing themselves a little bit more from the union. Now, well, that's right. not me. I'm in the union, but that doesn't mean I agree with what they're doing. And when that starts to happen... That's when the parents, because you're right, the parents, I think parents first support their first, the person they look to is the teacher, sure. not the union. 
It's not about the union. It's about their their child's teacher. teacher. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's who they, that's their first point of encounter. That red for ed movement around the country and you wear the red shirts and people were supporting teachers and, you know, they they deserve this and the other. You go on strike three times in a year. People like, screw you. I'm never wearing red again. Are you kidding? I'm only stopping red lights because of you people anymore. And explain this to me. School was open yesterday. Uh, they close on a dime, right? You know, all these. And then it's like the biggest snowstorm we've had in centuries. And schools are open. Crazy. Yeah. yeah they, uh, so what is it about? What You know, that's political power. That's what people are saying now. What is this it's, actually? It's, it's not no about longer our kids. About, it's, yeah, well. it's not about how you teach and how it's going to, you know, because why would you even care unless you thought that what what affected that teacher affected your child right mm-hmm. but now people are like no it's it's not about it's about these well, remember the teachers union people. will start caring about kids when kids start paying union dues until then they're not in the kids business <laughs> they're in the teacher business you have a kids membership you know they get a toy every month or something <laughs> like that you know <laughs> get them a little hot wheels let them vote yeah we, well it is going to be more of the same because yeah. we learned yesterday that Jesse Sharkey has already endorsed yeah. Stacey Davis-Gates, what a surprise. the vice president, yeah. to take his spot when he leaves. So yeah. <laughs> Expect nothing different, in other words, mm-hmm. right? Hey, good morning to you. Happy Thursday. It's Bruce and Judy. And this this next story reminds me of something. And, and play along with me here. I don't know if people actually do this, but I hope someone actually did. Because I read about someone that took... Um, um, garbage bags and filled them up with garbage, but then tied like ropes around it and made it look like a body. Have you ever seen that when they, you know, they, mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, around Halloween, around ha- yeah. right, right. And, and then they, they were moving and they, they put it under their house, you know, in the area underneath and just oh left it. God. Like in the crawl space, N- knowing that somebody someday would crawl down there. Shriek in horror, you know, and I'm like, okay, it's kind of clever, you know, I'm like, I'm, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, kind of sick and twisted, but clever in and of itself. Um, I don't know why it made me think of that, but a, uh, a family in Idaho, which I'm led to believe is a state that potatoes come from, is <laughs> they were redecorating uh, a, a room. They started to peel back some of the wall and they found something pretty incredible. Not a body. Oh, which would have been awesome. But 1,600 <laughs> baseball cards glued to the wall. It's wow. a wall of baseball cards. Like floor to ceiling, side yeah. to side. It's it's actually, I, it's, I like it. I think it's awesome. It kind of looks good. Um, they, they actually contacted the owner, the original owner of yeah. the home. The boy, the boy who had his parents it, do it. It was his, his room, and he says, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, you know, we kind of redecorating, and um, mom and dad had an interesting idea. We're gonna, just going to glue all of your baseball cards to the wall, so you have one entire wall of baseball cards. Good news, bad news, pretty cool, 1,600 baseball cards from, you know, 30 years ago up there on the wall. Bad news is you can't get them off the wall. Yeah, they are they literally are. plastered to the wall. Exactly. So he said they were excess baseball cards, so probably not really worth much, but maybe some of them are. 
And I guess the owners of the the current owners of the home are saying, if you want any of the cards, come and get them. Come and but get it. You can't. Free. Yeah, you're gonna have to chisel them you off. Gotta, and then they say, cut the whole they wall won't out. They be worth anything. Yeah, they're gonna redecorate. Know. Amazingly, not with thirty year old baseball cards. They, yeah. It's not the the motif they were going for. Yeah, and uh, when you're selling something like vintage like that, it matters that it's in good shape. So yeah, well, the cards are not going to be. I mean, mm-hmm. baseball cards. If you collect them, they're not worth anything if they've been glued to a wall. Oh yeah, or you covered sleeve in. Leave them immediately. Yeah, they have to know. be in you know plastic or you know yeah. untouched but by human hands. The owner says, "I would love for somebody to come in and take them if they think it's useful." We don't have any interest in keeping it because it really doesn't go with our mid-century modern decor. <laughs> oh my god! Does it? And they're not really Doesn't baseball it? fans. <sighs> they played, I would uh, work with it. I would make that room like around the, baseball the baseball room. Yeah, Absolutely. I would make it around. I mean, not even a baseball room is such, but I would I would decorate it around that wall. Yeah, they played baseball in the mid-century, right? <laughs> yeah. Why not? Absolutely. A couple of mid-century chairs and tables. It's fine. So what if Honus Wagner is weirdly watching you from the wall, you know? <laughs> That's okay. Oh. I think that's cool, though. As a kid, that would be... It's a great idea, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that would... He said said in the 80s... like a Pinterest thing. Yeah, he was was, like obsessed with baseball, and he asked his parents to do it, and they spent a weekend doing it. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, as a kid, when you collected cards, you only kept your favorite players. I mean, it was like, oh, Ozzy Smith, St. Louis? Nah, we don't like him. You know, put him in your... Put him on your bike. I'm going to trade... I'm going to trade him down for the neighbor, for somebody I really want. Yeah, or, yeah, put him in your spokes. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, d- did you have any odd collect? Did you collect anything as a, as a kid? You know, it's interesting. My son Luke collected football cards, and this mm. I know because mm. I just found. I have shoeboxes of those somewhere. Folder, I guess you would call it with the little slots in a it. Binder. Put, mm-hmm. a oh, binder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, a binder. I mean, it's like this thick. I found it recently, and he took it. Which was surprising to me because I'm like, I have all the stuff oh. I've saved for. But he took that. Should have sold off. it. I know. I should have gone through it and taken it in, but I didn't. Now, I've got shoe boxes somewhere of football cards. Do you have them or do your, does your mom have them? If my mom has them, they're long gone. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that happens too. I should really go look for those. Somewhere. Oh, yeah. You never know what you're going to find. My mother came back from college and found that her room had been redecorated. <laughs> And uh, his, her mom had sold all of her baseball cards. And this is back in the good old days when the Cubs, yeah. you know. And uh, she swears to this day, I could have made a ton of money off of those cards. <laughs> Wait, but so your grandma sold the cards? Oh, yeah. No, I no, I think she, no, she, I think she threw them away. She didn't sell them. She threw them away, gave them away. That's right. what I did with all my other son, Conlon, who'd collected Legos. I'm not kidding you. I had... Huge bins full. Yeah. And now I hate that I gave and I gave them to a family member who then was like, "Oh yeah, we just you know my kids were done. We gave them away." I, I thought I would get. Well, them I don't back, know if, I, if, I don't know if like Legos haven't changed. Yeah, like, they're you not can't value, say, This is a thirty-year-old Lego. Like, yeah, it looks just like the one no, that comes out you're today. Right. It's the sheer the sheer <laughs> volume of them and the the ones he had made. The comment some, had spent time making. So. Some people collect some very odd things. Uh, it might be a nice way to put it. There's a guy, there's always a guy, he collects traffic cones. Now, <laughs> if you're collecting traffic cones, number one, I think you're stealing them, no, right. first <laughs> off. And secondly, what kind of accidents did you leave behind when you took the cone away from the open manhole or right. whatnot? Yeah, he's collecting them because they're readily available. Well, right. I, I do collect, I collect old fishing lures, which are really cool. 
Because my my and those some of those are actually valuable. Those oh, old are pedants. they? God, yeah. man. There's a market mm-hmm. for old. Fi- well, there's a market oh, for yes. everything, but there's a market for old fishing lures. The hooks oh, yes. on those I could kill someone with. They are like crazy, and I only did that because I got my grandfather's uh, tackle box. I don't know why I, I ended up with it, so I really loved it. And then I also collect um, the uh, sp- uh, thread spools, not with the thread on mm-hmm. it, but just the spools. I like the way they look in a big bowl. Yeah. Some people put some people put wine corks in a bowl. I put thread spools. Right. And I also have a couple of typewriters. I don't know that I can call myself mm-hmm. a collector. And your bowling balls. And no, you my bowling pins. Every pins. My bowling ball pins. pins. I'm a, I know, I do. Where do you sleep? Is there room in your house? <laughs> no. Here's the thing. All I used brick a brick. I used a brick a brick. I need a shelf for my brick a brick. No, I used to live in a really old, beautiful, big house, and so I did have a lot more room. I have totally scaled down. So I only, that's why I say I can't call myself a collector. I, right Ralph, now, I only have three vintage typewriters. Well, Ralph, only three. Ralph, Ralph Schroeder sees your collections and says, I have 14,502 different sugar packets that I collect <laughs> <laughs> with the oldest dating back to the second. 50s. Collect wow. sugar wow. packets. All right, you beat me. Hey, good morning to you and a happy Thursday. Here's what's coming up this hour. Uh, at 7.45, our buddy David Hochberg joins us to share his wealth of knowledge on home buying, selling, well, everything in between. Judy? Hey, Chicago, your ward might be changing. 15th Ward Alderman Raymond Lopez joins us to talk ongoing ward map negotiations and, of course, cleaning up dibs. That's after 7.30. And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees are out. We've got this year's list of hopeful inductees in just a few minutes. But first, CNN President Jeff Zucker has resigned over an undisclosed relationship with a senior executive, just adding to another scandal to an already huge stack for the network itself. The the details are uh, this is this is not alleged um, uh, sexual assault or. Uh, this apparently was a consensual relationship, but a consensual relationship with a subordinate. When you're the president of the network, everybody works for you, I guess, on, yeah. on, on, on some level. He broke level. company rules. Right, right. He didn't break any laws. He's not accused of no. uh, uh, yeah. sexually harassing someone, that, which is married. different. They weren't having an affair or anything. They were yeah, just right? two just employees having, dating one another. Yeah. yeah. But, wow, when does that ever happen? That's shocking. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> I mean, it's so funny to me when I saw this. I was like, really? I mean, is that why he's leaving? Um, you know, And there certainly could be a straw that broke the camel's back argument to this, that they've had enough other issues, for goodness sakes, mm-hmm. that uh, um, the bosses up the chain, you know, hey, he's got a boss, uh, decided, you know, that's it. That's yeah, enough. the whole Cuomo thing. I mean, it just because it, it seemed odd that you know Zucker said that they the, the relationship was sort of new that that turn in the relationship, right? They had been working closely working together, together for yeah, twenty years, these, and so apparently. yeah, right. And so that had taken a turn for the better for them, and he should have disclosed it. It's just I, if he would have disclosed it, would it have changed anything? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the... Would that have been... Let me think hmm. back to all the times that happened when I was working in corporate America. Oh, yeah, no. Nothing ever happened. I worked in companies that had policies against dating coworkers. Every company I had had a policy, but it yeah. didn't matter. 
Okay. At all. In, so, in this, in this business all. back in the day, it never mattered at all. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you can care what be, your company Right, Nick? Was. It would seem unusual if people weren't dating. I mean, yeah. you knew, and that's the same here, too. This was like an open secret at CNN. The same at all the like radio stations mm-hmm. we worked at. I mean, we all knew who was. But this is like who. work wife thing. You know, you work with somebody for twenty years. Apparently, they both got divorced. I say recently in the last couple of years, and it's like, uh, well, you know, we, we're we're together all darn day. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, what are just, you doing for dinner? Yeah, you're divorced now. <laughs> hey, and you're I'm divorced. divorced. You're not going yeah. home. I'm not going. Home. You know, exactly. I, I I can certainly see where where it I happens. Think companies should encourage these kinds of relationships. <laughs> <laughs> they like more productive employees. I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, the, you know, let's face it. The problem here is she was worked right under him, right? She was his subordinate, the second in command, I mean, yeah, or whatever. You could yeah. see why companies wouldn't want that. That is, yeah, oh, without yeah, a doubt, without a, lot a doubt, of issues can arise from that. So, yeah, I just, you know, and I just, I guess, I saw the headline, and a lot of people were trying to like throw them in with, you know. The Harvey Weinstein's and Chris Cuomo's, and I go. Oh, I don't no. think this is the same no, 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 no. thing. I, I, there needs to be a distinction. Absolutely. Not saying it's right or wrong. If it's against their policy, and 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 he is the boss, and he's dating a subordinate. Okay, full stop. I get that. Um, but I I would say that doesn't rise to the level of someone who was sexually harassing a subordinate. Right. I would I would say that that that. That's uh, another argument. Completely different issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no there's no wrongdoing here except that he did not follow CNN's employee handbook. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He broke a little rule out of see a little rule. I like the I like the the, and and the rule from their handbook. By the way, Warner Media's standard of business conduct handbook, which I'm sure every employee has read over there, uh, says that in advancement of hiring. Uh, someone with whom you have a personal relationship or a business that you're associated with or have an interest in, you must inform the HR department in advance of taking any action. So basically to stay within his uh, uh, thing, he would have had to tell them ahead of time, I'm thinking of dating this girl. 20 years later. But I need you guys to give me the okay on it before I ask her out. Yeah. Oh, I always ask Jim from HR what's good. <laughs> but yeah, I saw this really You think she show. likes me? Yeah, you think she likes me? <laughs> Well, let's go. I saw the, the water cooler. Yeah, yeah, there uh, it is. Oh my! But goodness. I need your permission before I oh, uh, go over and compliment her on her outfit today. Yeah, yeah. which now that's—I mean—that's the a big yeah. no-no. That Can't would be that would be what gets you in trouble. Yeah. Ask her if she's bought any NFTs recently. That's a good conversation starter. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But you know, the, the, for me, the, this this does get into the degrees, and and that's been one of my issues with a lot of the uh, the the Me Too movement and the and the harassment charges is there has to be a scale. Like uh, I just finished watching the um, uh, the documentary on HBO about Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, Ronan Farrow. Uh, it's his documentary on him chasing this story, you, originally getting it, literally leaving the newspaper because they they wouldn't publish it, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. going over to another uh, uh, organization where they would publish it and chasing the story. And you hear about, you know, a pattern of decades long of literally locking women in a room and not letting them leave, you know, and talking about how this is going to influence their career unless you, you know, take your yeah. clothes off and and saying, well, that's got that's got to be near the bookend of of okay, that is horrific behavior. Bill Cosby drugging women, that horrific behavior. 
dating somebody at work consensually, neither of you are married, may be inappropriate, but let's not lump them all together. Yeah, no. Those are not the same things. Not not anywhere near the same things. I don't even know who's, are people lumping them together? Of course they are. No. Well, but mostly it's because, you know, it's, it's the... Uh, uh, people that wake up in the morning. Are, are, are the rival networks? Are those the ones oh, yeah, helping him? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's just... and I am I am positive you can go to any network and find the exact same thing happening today. Pe- employees are dating one another? Oh, yeah. Yeah. bosses and underlings and people who are married. But if you're a dating boss, people who are, listen, yeah. and I'm not trying to give Zucker a pass on this. If you're the boss, you have to understand that dating a subordinate is probably a bad idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When yeah. I was a boss, I knew that as the rule. <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a, uh, uh, what do you mean I can't? No, I understood it. Anyone who was my direct report, anybody who I oversaw, anybody who I had hiring and firing decisions over, anybody who I decided what they got paid, no, you could not have that kind of a relationship with them. Maybe like you can I said, fire ever, them and then have a relationship. Said, there with you them. go. Well, right. and you know what? Zucker's <laughs> leaving, but she's staying. I'm just, I'm just saying. And oh, let that's me, interesting. Yeah, she yeah. says she intends to stay. Uh, let me just make this clear. So, Everywhere, but that makes her like she's the victim in this. She's not a victim. No one's a victim. No, it doesn't make. I don't think that makes her like she's a victim. She's just he had to leave and she doesn't. Why? I guess she didn't break the rule. He did. Hmm. Someone had to take the fall. Although it does take, it takes two to tango. I don't get that. So does the relationship continue now because yeah, now he's cool. no longer there? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, yeah that's fine. why. That's why he's leaving. He just right? has to sit outside and pick her up. Wait. He can't come in. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's at least a car running right outside <laughs> CNN headquarters. Like, honey, you roll the window down. Come on. You know. Security's like, come this on. This is actually a true love story. Oh, <laughs> well, we'll find out. Was she dating him because he was the president of CNN or was she dating him for his lovely hair? We'll find out uh, and see how that one uh, continues. Hey, good morning to you. A happy Thursday. Bruce and Judy with you. And I'm going to I'm going to sound like my dad for a minute. All right. You ready? You're going to complain. First off about you damn kids on lawn. Number two, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is inducting people. Who are not rock and roll. Okay, well, there you have it. We have the uh, the latest nominee list on there, which includes some people who have never once been involved in the sentence, wow, they're so rock and roll. Maybe, maybe some pop rock, right? You can rock a little bit to Dolly Parton. No, again, I don't believe anybody's <laughs> ever accused of, she, Dolly Parton is fantastic. Yeah, I love her. I can't believe she's not in already. I'm actually pretty surprised that she's not in the... I'm just going to call it the Music Hall of Fame so I don't upset you. Well, it's it's not rock and roll. I know. Well, I, not I only mean, her, Eminem. Not rock and I, roll. It, okay. And my favorite, Lionel Richie. Definitely not rock and roll. <laughs> so it, it, it reminds me of... Uh, I was at a Coldplay concert. Yeah, I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, there's like a quiet part during the show. There's a lot of quiet parts during Coldplay shows in between a song. And somebody, it was a small venue, a little little uh, intimate one. And some guy, you know, like in the fifth row goes, you rock! <laughs> and to his credit, Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, he's sitting at the piano after just playing some ballad. And he goes, mm. thank you. 
Maybe we soft rock. He goes, I, I, <laughs> he said, I don't there think anyone's going to confuse us with Metallica. <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay, at least he has a sense of humor about it. You know, you rock. Do we really rock? Well, you know what would kill you every once in a while to play a little fog hat? Yeah! Come on, MTV. What's wrong with you? Play okay, a little fog hat. You just mentioned soft rock. Isn't that like a... Uh, radio station. I mean, radio stations say you know they're they're soft yeah. rock. Soft rock. Yeah. So there you yeah. go. And it's a third less calories in your regular oh. rock. And yeah. you know what? So maybe we can put them into that category. Soft the rock, soft the rock. soft rock, and roll <laughs> Hall of Fame. All right, this year Dan Seals. Yes, <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, Engelbert Humperdinck. Ah, oh, the man is a genius. Oh my god, a genius! I tell you. Well, I guess the only way you could you get around it is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is basically become the Music Hall of Fame because I'm. Obviously, genres, uh, it's no longer about rock and roll. Because, again, when you nominate Dolly Parton, you're going to have a really tough time. Not that, again, not that she's not fantastic, but arguing that she is in any way, shape, or form rock and roll. You and can, actually, I think I could argue Dolly Parton before I argued Lionel Richie. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't even put, put, pin it on her this time. It, every year this happens. Every right. year we're like, why are they in here? It's yeah. the rock and Where yeah. did they come from? Exactly. Is there a country um, Hall of Fame? I, th- I, I think, think it's called so. the Grand Ole Opry, but also oh, I think the there's Grand a country Opry. music Hall of Fame. Yeah, there's one in Nashville that you yeah. can visit. It's not as it's big. It's like the Johnny Cash. Yeah, the Boy Band Hall of Fame yet? You know, it's just a... Yes, finally. It's where 98 Degrees and NSYNC literally live. They just kind of <laughs> hang out there and wait for people to show up and wave at them when they, they come by. In a, in a glass kind of Can there uh, only be enclosures? like 10? How many can there be? Well, and, well, the Four Tops are kind of like a boy band Ooh, in a way. Original oh, boy see, bands? now you're skirting the requirements what, the Beatles again. a boy band, for God's sakes, by that argument? Yes, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say the that, original boy band. that argument, all, tons of bands would be boy bands. Yeah, I don't know if I'm buying into that. Uh, but, uh, the, the, uh, the nominee, the nominees are, uh, and again, these have to be voted on by, by the members. You got Dolly Parton, Eminem, Lionel Richie, Duran Duran, a tribe called Quest. You start with the letter A, you end with Quest, a tribe called Quest. Uh, uh, these are all first time nominees this year. Uh, you also, uh, will be considering Rage Against the Machine, Pat Benatar, Dion Warwick, Carly Simon, Simon, Judas Priest, and Beck. Mm. What? I'm Beck, here for duty. Beck's Priest. not getting in. <laughs> Beck's not getting in. I'm like, it's like three of these things belong together. One of these things doesn't belong. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> gonna go, we've got Dolly Parton, Eminem, Lionel Richie, and Beck. Hold on a second. Let's, let's, we're grading on a curve, right? I mean, we must be at some point in there. Okay, I just looked it up. The requirements, the eligibility. Artists have to be, um, it has to be 25 years after the release of their first record. We all know that. Criteria include the influence and significance of the artist's contributions to the development and perpe- perpetuation of a rock and roll. <laughs> I, I reintroduced the conversation fog hat. I think. I know. How is, so it is an oversight of biblical proportions. They're breaking their own rules. I mean, who who votes on the inductees, on the nominees, right? Is it, who, is I, it music critics? It's. Right, I know Someone? Jan Wenner of Rolling Stone. Yeah, kind of I mean, runs that whole thing, so he's got a big influence on. But we get to vote. That's part of it. Is that there you is can a vote on fan that. Well, vote, that if might you will? Be the problem. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. People when are you, like, oh, when I like, you open I like it up to the general public, Dolly Parton. She's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know her name. Therefore, <laughs> she must be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, um, I'm feeling particularly old today, uh, because. 
when they talk about inducting Eminem into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I remember the first time I met him before the song, Hi, My Name Is, came yeah. out. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm apparently old. Where bands that I remember them, acts before they were acts, are now being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm he, but right. now, in your defense, he has been inducted. It's like literally he just met the requirement. 25 years. Yeah. This Most is, people um, wait yeah, but longer. Still, 25 years. It's only Eminem? 25. It's like it's 50. How old was Marshall like in real life? Quiet. Mm. Shy. Oh. Um, gentle soul. Was he brooding? No. No. Brooding? no but, but, yeah. Brooding. It, it, was it, yeah. He's a little okay. more. He's um, suspicious. Mm. Oh. He was one of those those kind of like uh, there's a tim he's timid you know that that he, he, when he, when he meets new people he's not self conscious not the life of the party by any stretch he just yeah I think he wasn't used to being in the spotlight in that sense very comfortable on stage yeah. microphone in his hand but like in a group of people yeah quietest guy in the in the group so is he Stan <laughs> yeah <laughs> to a certain extent yeah I mean. Yeah, think about it that way. So, yeah. I I also feel lucky that I think I've seen practically all of these people perform at some point. Mm -hmm. I I I don't know if I saw Carly Simon perform. You've seen Dolly? Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen Dolly. In Dollywood or I did not see her in Dollywood. <laughs> Thank you. For, oh, then it doesn't I really count. Genuinely missed out on that. Hey, Nick Gale is standing by and Nick, I know a lot of the city is uh, looking around today. We've got uh, a pretty a pretty high profile guy getting out of jail. Hey, good morning. Happy Thursday to you. Uh, let's jump right into it. Joining us is a friend of the show, Alderman Ray Lopez of the 15th Ward. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Judy. And good morning, everybody. It's great to have you on. And, you know, we wanted to talk to you first up. We're going to get to the important stuff here in a second. But want to talk to you about the entire ward map negotiations you've been front and center you've been right in the middle of all this the the redrawing of the word maps are we any closer to a new and dare i say um more accurate representation of the population of chicago as represented by wards well right now what we have is in a ward remap it's a ward remap to be oh. honest with you um the coalition has put together a map that is based on numbers that focuses on keeping as much community cohesion and togetherness as possible. And we see the opposite side, the opposite from the Black Caucus Rules Committee map, which is all about protecting politicians, protecting the incumbents, and carving out political enemies. So I think that if they don't see the importance of valuing data, then we're going to let the voters decide. And I think the voters will choose the right map. Well, what do you mean by that, letting the voters decide? Well, if we can't come to agreement, Judy, or any kind of negotiation, um, the voters will have their choice in a citywide referendum uh, this June uh, during the primary. Uh, and contrary to what some of the opponents say, it will cost no extra money because there's already an election going on. And everyone going to the polls will see two maps and have their choice. Do you want the one that is uh, focused on communities 
and focused on keeping neighborhoods together? Or do you want the one that looks like a whacked out jigsaw puzzle designed to keep incumbents in office and to make it harder for everyday Chicagoans to run for office? Yeah, but wouldn't there be a court battle before it goes to the voters? I mean, no, no. So no, it would, there, there's no guarantee that there has to be a court battle. And that's the only reason where any kind of cost would happen. And as much as the uh, Black Caucus Rules Committee uh, group says that, oh, it's going to be a $40 million court battle over one seat, they, are, they should be well reminded that when the Black Caucus was shorted a seat two decades ago, they filed lawsuits mm-hmm. to get that one extra seat as well. Yeah, so this is not something out of the ordinary in Chicago politics. It's just unfortunate that the same tricks that, that, were, that were used against them 20 years ago they are now using against the Latino caucus and neighborhood cohesion. Yeah, there's a there's a a lack of consistency in their their morals, <laughs> ethics. I guess you could say. Uh, I certainly agree with you on that. the The city of Chicago is changing, and and the ward maps should reflect that in a lot of ways. But let's talk about what you're most famous for. Let's talk about the thing that <laughs> has got you front and center, Alderman Lopez. You, um, have taken the concept, the well worn concept of dibs and you're turning it on its ear at least in your ward where are you and you are the you are either a hero or a villain apparently depending on how people see dibs story of my life what can i say (laughs) (laughs) what were you out doing Um, the other day so we know last week we had a snowfall yes we had a little bit of uh, a snowstorm in chicago last thursday you know people dug themselves out took place their dibs immediately following, which I want your listeners to know, I 100% understand. A day like yesterday, I 100% understand digging out your spot and saving it. Mm -hmm. I get that. But a week from now, when the snow subsides and melts and you can see the street again, you don't need dibs anymore. And what we were seeing in my ward was an explosion of dibs, even on streets that were 100% clear snow. No snow whatsoever. no snow whatsoever. And I, you know, I can even post it and I'll tag you guys so you could see it too. There was no snow curb to curb. And yet families and households were taking up, you know, five, six spots on a block okay. with all kinds of garbage. And it, my residents had just had enough. That weekend, there was 800, almost 830 uh, complaints to the city for dibs. And we had to take action. And, you know, people take it as a tradition. I get it. But there's a time and a place for dibs, and when there's no snow, there's no place for them. So that's the bottom line. If there's no snow, no dibs. It's not a matter of days or weeks or, you know, it's it's when there's snow, you can have dibs. When there's no snow, no dibs. You know, basically, that's, that's how I've operated for the last several years as alderman. You know, every year we go through this uh, in the news um, because we do this every year, and if we can work with our residents, which we do, on a block and say, look, if you guys want to move your cars, we'll come down with the plow and clear all the snow curb to curb so you don't need dibs anymore, we're happy to do it. We're happy to get into the, into the weeds with our residents to make it clear so that you don't need dibs anymore. Because what we see oftentimes are families fighting with families, neighbors getting outrageous with each other, and we've got enough going on right now to not have to be duking it out in the middle of the street over who gets to park where and in front of whose house. We're, we're talking to Alderman Ray Lopez of the 15th Ward. You can follow him on the Twitter machine at R Lopez 
15th Ward, 15 15th Ward. And you have some pictures up there. Uh, I, I saw you uh, uh, post some pictures and retweet some things of, of again, what, what looks ridiculous to me, a completely clear street and uh, chairs or furniture out there basically just saving spots. It's obvious no one is shoveled that in quite some time you know it's basically everyone's trying to get reserved parking now right and the hard part in many of my neighborhoods is one we know that we are congested in many communities like brighton park and back of the yards particularly where most blocks have two three four flat buildings Um, but we also know that people have garages that they're refusing to use they use them for parties they use them for other things and we need to get back to focusing on garages being for cars and trying to clear up space and be neighborly. Um, and I know we can do that. You know, the sad thing about dibs is that, you know, more often than not, we're seeing it in the summertime. We're seeing it when there's absolutely no snow and it's gotten out of hand. So some traditions need to be reeled back a little bit so that we respect why they're there, why we tolerate them. Because once you take it overboard, then there's going to be uh, a crackdown, as we've seen in my ward and others. Uh, to address it. And I don't want to make this more punitive. I get it. Um, but let's use some common sense out there and be neighborly. Do you do dibs, Alderman? No, I do not. Okay, well, so um, but I, but I will try it once. I, I mean, you, I don't think you can be I, an Alderman unless you've done dibs once. Oh, I, my, no, I said I don't. My dad used to. My family's <laughs> done it. <laughs> um, uh, I, my, my, my family is guilty of that. Um, drives me crazy as an adult, but you know, I get it. And, you know, I, I cleared out in front of my parkway, in front of my house plenty of times, only to come home and find somebody's decided that they dibbed out my parking space in front of my house. So I get both sides of the equation. Um, but I think there's, again, common sense has to prevail. And if you can see the curves, if you can, if everyone has space on the block, there's no need to start laying claim to parking spaces Um just to aggravate your neighbors, especially when you have people who are seniors and who've never had dibs in their community at all, and you have new neighbors who pop in and drop seven buckets on the street because they want to protect the 10 cars that they own. Right. Um, well, I, uh, Alderman Lopez, uh, I, I wish you luck and continue to fight the good fight because what I think what it comes down to is it's a few people taking advantage of yeah. it. Is, is the reality. It's a few people, else. again, like he said, you know, saving seven spots on a sunny and 41 day, you know, a degree day. He's Alderman Ray Lopez with the 15th Ward. Thank you so much for your time today. Hey, good morning to you and a happy Thursday. It's Bruce, Judy, and our buddy David Hochberg joining us right now. Uh, David, first off, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Great to have you on with us. And I got a question that I got to believe a lot of folks out there are thinking about. I keep hearing about and seeing rising interest rates is now that if you were even thinking about getting a home, purchasing a home, you're not ready. You don't want to rent anymore. You're going to, I mean, is, is, is time running out? Is the clock ticking? Nah, the clock's not ticking. It's, um, I've been, I've been originating loans since August of 2000, right? And the best time to buy a home is when you want to buy a home. Okay, you have no control over interest rates. You weren't the smartest, you know, cat in class in August of last, in 2000, when, when rates were at 2.5 to 2.625 and you wanted to buy a home. You just got lucky that we were in the middle of a pandemic and 
and rates were at record lows. And if you want to buy now, the, the rates will be in the mid to high threes, maybe fours, depending upon your credit. It's a great time to buy a home. If you want to buy a home, need to buy a home, and you don't want to rent. Uh, and if you're, if, you're, if you're sensitive with interest rates, talk to your grandparents and ask them what, what their interest rate was in the uh, late <laughs> 70s, early 80s. And point. They, they'll tell you it's still, it's still super low. So it's, yeah. all, it's all relative. Okay. Hey, David, how's the inventory out there these days? Still still record lows. Um, I'm really close with Amy Kite. She sold my home in, in under a week, and I um, I was talking with her the other day. She said that inventory this year is less than the record low inventory of last year. So they were at like 1.6 months' worth of inventory, and now they're at 1.2. So hmm. we are constantly still talking with, with uh, buyers that are losing homes or missing opportunities because buyers are out there coming in with cash offers, with obviously cash is king, and at cash offers above the asking price of the home. So if you're a seller and you've got five offers, uh, you know which one you're going to take. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars, right? Somebody comes in with two sixty, two seventy with the mortgage or two eighty cash. You know, here are the keys. You know, when do you want me out? So. You know, it's still a fluid market. Do you have any concerns looking forward, though? I mean, you know, the the crystal ball. This is your world, uh, David. Absolutely. What are your concerns for the rest of twenty twenty two? Well, the rest of twenty twenty two. You know, I'm still talking with listeners with thirty to forty. I, I've got a guy right now, one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars with the credit card debt. Okay. Um, yes, one hundred seventy five thousand dollars with the credit card debt. So I, I, I'm concerned that with the rising interest rates, with our listeners carrying debt, it's going to start costing you more money. Uh, the inflation is already, I just put 10, 10 gallons of gas in my tank, it, $3.57 at the Costco and Chamber. Okay, it's, last year it was $1.87. Everything's costing more money. It's putting pressure yeah. on, on our listeners' spending habits, right, and disposable income, and that. That concerns me because when you go to buy a home, you need disposable income to pay that higher gas bill. You need to have that disposable income if and when the heater goes out, right? And and you've got to replace a furnace. It's five to six thousand dollars. I mean, the, the, the furnaces and the heating and air conditioning units have gone up fifteen twenty percent pre-pandemic. So everything costs more money, and that's a concern to me. And that's going to eventually lead into um, stalling out the housing market. It has to, right? It, it, you know, the cost of everything. Mortgages are now, instead of two and a half, they're at three and a half to four. Well, it's going to cost you more money to own that house. It's just a fact of life. And eventually all of these foreclosures are going to start hitting the market, which we've been talking about yeah. for the past year and a half. It's going to happen. Hey, David, I know you're also, uh, you're, we're working on something that's near and dear to your heart, and I wanted to give you a chance to, uh, to pitch to people the reason why they should get behind and help you with your, uh, your fundraising drive for, to get bulletproof vests for police officers. Yeah, well, I, it was, I became friends with Alderman Matt O'Shea, the 19th Ward, Southwest Side, and he, every time he does a pancake breakfast at the end of February, I'm sure he'll be hitting you up. To come on on your show to promote it. Uh, they raised fifty thousand dollars for the Chicago Police Memorial Foundation. So um, I every year he came on my show and I promoted it. And I'm just like, let's go bigger, you know. Let's do a live remote. Let's bring more sunshine on this. And he's like, all right, let's go. The pandemic kind of blew that up. So we're doing a um, 
a, a vestathon, we're calling it. We're helping to raise funds and awareness. A lot of your listeners don't know this, but the Chicago, the men and women, the officers of the Chicago Police Department have to buy their own bulletproof vest. That sounds crazy it's in and of itself. It's asinine. It's the most ridiculous, backward-thinking okay. thing that, that the city does, but we can't change it. All we can do is help it. Can't change it now, but we can help it. A, a bulletproof vest costs $500 mm-hmm. for the officers that you see on the streets. For the tactical units, it can cost anywhere from 2500 to $3,000 due to the higher... Um, higher uh, density vests that they need. The vest lasts maximum five years due to wear and tear. The material breaks down, the bulletproof uh, material breaks down. They have to buy them every five years. So the Chicago Police Memorial Foundation that supports fallen officers' families when a police officer gets killed in the line of duty has been purchasing vests for the officers, which mm-hmm. I find is, is great, but that's ridiculous in and of itself. That, that we have to do that, yeah. Well, well, that money should be going to the families of fallen police officers, right? They, they take care of the kids. They take care of camp. They take care of clothes. They, they send the kids to college. They help with weddings and, and, and all that stuff. That's what this money should go for, not to buy. Not that it's bad that they're buying best, but we need to step up, support the Chicago police officers out there. You know, this city's so screwed up in many ways. It's not their fault. They have to buy their own best. So, so we're having this vest on. We set up a website. It's CPDVest, C for Chicago, P Police, D for Department, CPDVest. 100% of the proceeds is going towards purchasing vests. We're mm-hmm. trying to raise two, 200 Gs. We're well on the way there. Listen, if, I, if you can afford 500, great. If you're, if you're a corporate sponsor, call me. We'd love to have you. We're going to give you a recognition. We need corporate sponsors like Walsh Construction, Local 150. I threw in 10 grand. We got Joe Cotton Ford threw in 2,500. Raybine Paving threw in 2,500. Mobs and Dave Schluter, Dr. McGuire, Grand. All of these Dykstra Home Services, $1,000. Soda Weight Loss, I know that you're on the program. Yeah. Donated, donated $5,000 to the cause. That's outstanding. So these are, we need corporate. Listen, I'll take the, we'll take the tens and the fifties and the hundreds from, from, from every listener out there. But the way we're going to, and we need a lot of those, right? Ten fifty dollar donations, we buy a vest. That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. But you know, a thousand dollar donations from the corporations out there that respect the Chicago Police Department. One other thing: if you live in Joliet and you come to the city, those Chicago police officers are watching your back. If you're in Rockford mm. and you're coming to the city, those Chicago police officers are watching your back. You're coming down from Lake Geneva to spend a weekend in the city or to see a game or, or go to a play. Those, those men and women in blue are protecting your rear end. So let's protect their backs by buying them vests. And whatever you can give, it's CPD, CPD for Chicago Police Department, best.com. I'm doing a whole radio show on another station. Okay. We're going to dedicate all three hours to raising funds and awareness. And thank you for the opportunity. And corporations out there, get on board. On. Get on board. All right. Call me. Uh, at 855-568, and I'll let you know how you can get involved. Thanks I tweeted I, 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 I tweeted the link out. Uh, you can follow me at the Bruce St. James. I've got the link up there for cpdvest.com. Thanks a lot to uh, David Hochberg, uh, not only for the information, but for the work he's doing for Chicago police officers. Hey, good morning to you, and a happy Thursday. We're going to jump right into the 8 o'clock hour, and here's what's coming up. Are you ready to share the road with automated vehicles? We're talking about the potential benefits and the problems of robocars at 845.
And we get scared scriptless. Woo, that was hard. With uh, Colin uh, Mockery after 8.30 as he tells us about his time on the comedy classic Whose Line Is It Anyway? and his upcoming show at the Genesee Theater. And former Cleveland Browns coach Hugh Jackson is coming forward with his own stories of discrimination and getting paid to lose games. Is this the NFL's Black Sox moment? That's coming up in just a few minutes. But first, Governor Pritzker laid out his plan for the future of Illinois yesterday uh, at his State of the State address. A lot of talk of accomplishments, uh, some budget plans, um, and basically the opening salvo in his reelection campaign, if you think about it. He started off with, uh, you know, we, we used to have a rainy day fund in uh illinois well it's been pouring apparently for a couple years they depleted it but governor pritzker spoke about that now right now the average state can run for 29 days on its rainy day fund in illinois we can run for 15 minutes i'm proposing that we set aside 600 million dollars for the fund this year plus another 279 million dollars next year The past few years have shown us that rainy days do actually arrive, and it's time to begin rebuilding protections from future fiscal calamities. You know, it reminds me of of the joke, like, you know, Illinois can run for 15 minutes. You know, uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, you know, you post a meme on on the Facebook, which is, you know, I've taken a look at my finances, my retirement, and if I uh, quit my job today and retired, I could live comfortably through... Saturday afternoon, you know, because <laughs> yeah. that's basically what he's oh, saying geez. is that Illinois had no money left for its rainy day fund, uh, that the, the rainy day fund was down to a couple pennies and some lint in the bottom of uh, JB's. Uh, uh, JB probably had more money in the couch cushions than the state of Illinois <laughs> yeah, has exactly. in its rainy day fund. Right. Well, yeah. What is he doing? He's looking at the Illinois budget like it's a pittance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah, well, I you mean, guys should add some zeros to this thing. Yeah, uh, well, why don't you just make more money? I wouldn't get out of bed for this money. He certainly knows what to say, right? I mean, you know, that's a good thing. It's a, yeah, we need to bolster our rainy day fund, as it were. So, but and- will they set that money aside, or will? as is the want of politicians. This is a political wish list, for lack of better terms. Well, they say, oh, that eight hundred million sounds good for a rainy day. But I'm looking to get reelected now, and I could use some of that money, you know, yeah, to... It'll, uh, be, it'll be raining a lot you know, in Illinois. Like, uh, you know, my yeah. district needs a sure. new power plant. Uh, yeah. My district needs a new bridge. My uh, needs the, uh, you know, congressman insert name here, post office bo- uh, branch. You know, that, that uh, everyone starts to get their fingers in there and how much of that is there. He also uh, uh, talked a little bit more about public safety. Addressing public safety requires major investments. But too often, those elected officials yelling the loudest about public safety concerns are also those voting to defund government budgets. Crime is a complex and multifaceted problem to tackle, and it's cynical and counterproductive to simply shout, lock them up, while providing fewer resources to the people and programs that prevent crime in the first place. Okay, so that is, I mean, he's saying two things there. He's trying to kind of talk out both sides of his mouth mouth in the sense of um, resources to literally lock people up. Police officers, uh, you know, uh, uh, attitudes towards prosecution, etc. Is different from anti-crime programs where the idea is you stop them from becoming a criminal to begin with. 
I think there's an argument to made you should be doing both in Illinois, specifically in Chicago. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, yeah. Every time I hear these speeches every year, and this one was the combined one, so it was even, you know, fluffier, right? It's just the same. It's the same old, same old. It's saying what people want to hear. And actually, um, if you talk about the violence problem, he didn't talk that much about violence at all. I mean, that was pretty much all he said, Mm. which was kind of unusual because that's a huge problem in the state because it's a huge... Real or imagined. And because it's a huge problem in Chicago. Yeah. And and the reality of it is there's a perception versus reality that the reality is, is that you good citizen, um, are probably pretty damn safe. As long as you aren't in about four different neighborhoods here in Chicago, that your chance of being a victim of violent crime is is very low. That's the reality. That's what the statistics say. Statistics don't matter to the way people feel. You know, that they think bad things can happen. You know, all the jokes about Chicago and whatnot. That's the reality that he's dealing with. And it doesn't seem like he's addressing it in that sense, going, I know people feel unsafe. And here's what you do about that. Right. Because as we know, it's you're right. It's a it's a perception problem. And what happens when you have that perception problem? People don't come to the city and they don't spend their money. They don't go to the museums and the parks and the mm-hmm. Navy piers and they don't stay in hotels and they don't go to the restaurants. That is all very, very bad for the state yeah. of Illinois. Yeah. And every governor should know that. He uh, he touched on higher education as well. Here's Governor Pritzker from his state of the state address in years past. Higher education had become an afterthought in our state budgets. Because of the disinvestment, post-secondary education became more and more expensive for students and their families. That's why at the beginning of my term, I pledged to do three things to address this problem. Increase MAP scholarships by $200 million. Get more Pell Grants and low-cost federal loans for Illinois students and increase direct support for institutions of higher learning. With this FY23 budget proposal, we will have achieved all three during my first term in office. So here's my problem with that. I I understand that sounds good. Why don't we lower the cost of education as opposed to making it easier to get money and take on loans uh, uh, to pay for an increasingly higher education? The, The problem is that there is too much money available because if that money wasn't available, well, then no one could charge it. If no one could get a loan for $40,000 a year to go to college, the college would lower the price, I promise you, as opposed to have empty classrooms. I promise you. But that doesn't play as well as... Yeah, who's going to be the one who says, okay, we're going to stop giving away... Yeah. We're going to stop giving you money for exactly. college. No but one. that's how you would lower yeah. the, the price. I mean, if we had subsidies for gasoline, <laughs> think about, you know, we're going to give everyone low-cost loans to buy gas. What do you think the price of gas would do? Be sixty-eight fifty a gallon. Are you yeah. kidding me? You know, if you could just, if money was just <laughs> sitting there, we're giving you a grant to, to fill up your car. That's a conservative estimate, too. Right. Jesus. You know, and you know what's so weird listening to uh, the governor and, and Nick probably, you know what I'm going to say? There's no clapping. 
Oh, because it was the all, virtual oh, version of it? Yeah. There was there's some clapping, clapping after every single well, thing you say. Well, that was his say. wife in the background. Yeah. <laughs> you know, usually the governor talks, and literally after every single thing right. he says, you gotta, his party you know, members yeah. clap. Stand clap, up, clap. sit down, fight, and fight, fight. Because I was like, God, he sounds just like, oh, God, am I almost done reading this? That's how he sounds. I got to tell you that... that I think he has a really good chance of getting reelected. And this sounded like almost like a reelection speech. You're welcome. Here's all the wonderful things I'm doing. I'm handing out Benny's left and right. Um, but he just seems, to his credit, kind of uniquely unscathed by some of the, the real bad headlines of the state of Illinois. And when you take a look at governors around the country, he's actually doing pretty well. When you yeah. look at public opinion polls, he's not one of these hated governors. Uh, honestly, he's just not. Uh, it'll be a, a tough road for the Republicans to try to unseat him. Hey, good morning to you. It's Bruce and Judy. Is the NFL uh, about to have its Black Sox moment? I say that because um, it started yesterday when you had the former Dolphins head coach, Brian Flores, who is suing the NFL for discrimination, uh, a black coach, had a winning record, by the way, got fired, Um and didn't get any of the open jobs. Um, but he, whether or not he's been racially discriminated against, I, I'll use the term. I'll let the courts decide. That that's not a decision I can I can make. His other claim, his other allegation, though, is pretty shocking. Brian Flores claims that the Dolphins' owner offered him one hundred thousand dollar bonus per game to lose in order to improve their draft position. And that when they started winning games, he faced angry management who were disappointed in him because they were 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 winning. Now, you could say maybe that's just one disgruntled ex-employee hurling accusations as they head out the door. You know, he's just trying to muddy everything. But then former Cleveland Browns head coach Hugh Jackson came forward and said, not only... Was he offered money to lose as well? But so were other members of his management team. And he has the documents to prove it. Hugh Jackson on ESPN yesterday. Uh, there was a four-year plan that was crafted. Um, and I have documentation of that that I think any coach would kind of cringe at if he saw it. Because it talked about things that had nothing to do with winning. Uh, aggregate uh, rankings, uh, being the youngest team. Uh, having so many draft picks, none of those things are what lead to winning. Teams that win don't have a lot of draft picks. Teams that win, they're not just the youngest team, not that the youngest teams can't win. So I didn't understand the process. I didn't understand what that plan was, and I asked for clarity. I asked, what is this? Because it did not talk about winning and losing until year three and four. The, the expectation was you had a very young team, which, I, I mean, I think if you understand football, you'd say, we don't have any veterans, we, we don't have any proven stars. I wish you loads of luck. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you got to have some I that. didn't hear a smoking gun there, though. And Am I, am I missing something? He I says heard... that his he there was a bonus structure that was to meet some of these metrics. Metrics that people in football would say are not conducive to winning and by the way he went one in 15 and zero in 16 those first two years wow <laughs> and he is now a former coach he's he is a former yeah. co he's a, i want to say he's a head coach at grambling university so now? He, here's my uh, college yeah my 
fear, my question, I guess, not my fear, but if this is true mm-hmm. and coaches have been taking $100,000 is a lot of money. A game. I, I know coaches make a lot of money, but $100,000 a game. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, no one's going to be rushing to, to follow suit here like, you know, Hugh Jackson did, which I mean, because they didn't take the money. But if it's true and if they have been taking money to lose, well, that's going to be a, a nice hidden secret. He says that he went into arbitration with them, that there was some sort of a settlement with the Browns and the NFL, that he's been under some sort of a gag order. So that's why he hasn't spoken about this. But Hugh Jackson's arguing this is like one of the dirty little secrets in the NFL. That, that some teams tank on purpose um, and some coaches are incentivized to lose games. And and you can say, well, if you owner of the Bears, <laughs> who, by the way, there's no allegation they've been purposely trying to lose. They've just been doing it by accident. I would uh, rather believe they've been purposely losing. But if you just don't want to invest in your team and you could care less if they win games. Okay. Well, that, that's one thing. Uh, you know, you, you're, there are plenty of franchises in professional sports that we know are not going to be competing for championships because they don't invest in their teams. That's different than paying someone to lose. Someone who can influence the outcome of the game by the decisions they make on and off the field. Personnel decisions, who starts at a certain thing, the plays that are called, because this brings into question, how could you accurately place bets, which the NFL is knee-deep into the gambling world now, if some of these teams... Are not trying to win. Right. Are not trying to cover the spread, whatever it might be, and are actively trying to lose. I mean, I'm, aside from the gambling, I'm even more upset that when you have a bad team, let's just say like the Bears, who deserve to have, right, the the good picks in the draft because... They're genuinely bad. They need help. Yeah, but, they're, but no. the problem is they're not that bad. There well, are 500 but, teams. But the bigger problem is there are teams that are good, but for whatever reason still want a better, you know, uh, an edge in the draft. And so, right, because we're not talking about, I mean, if you're a bad team, just let it go because you're going to get a good draft. You're going to be bad anyway. We're talking about relatively good teams here who who maybe even finish the Dolphins. Out. Yeah, yeah, the Dolphins. They had a winning they're record. They're the ones doing it. They're the ones who. So they're not. They're they're even hurting the game overall again because they're taking advantage of a program that's supposed right. to be for bad teams. It sounds like the argument that Brian Flores was making is, hey, if we don't have a Super Bowl worthy team, if we aren't going to go that far in it, well, then don't just finish one or two games out of the playoffs. Make sure you're nowhere near the playoffs so you get a better draft pick. Mm-hmm. Well, b- back to the back to the gambling part of it. I could totally see class action lawsuits. Oh, uh, but isn't this this is, this is potentially a Black Sox moment? Mm-hmm. I really do yeah. think so. That's pretty crazy. I, I just unbelievable. Hey, good morning to you and a happy happy Thursday. It's Bruce and Judy, and joining us right now, uh, one of the stars, well, I should just say the star of, screw the rest of them, of whose line is it anyway, Colin Mockery is with us right now. Colin, good morning to you. Good morning, and I like the way you talk. Exactly. I figured you'd enjoy that, right? You are coming here, uh, you will be performing live next week, next Thursday night. It is the Scared Scriptless Tour. Uh, you, along with your buddy Brad Sherwood. What is that show like? 
Uh, we like to say it's sort of a live version of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Okay. With the tall guy and the black guy. It's all, uh, you know, um, everything is totally made up. Everything starts with a suggestion from the audience. We have audience members um, doing some scenes with us. It's just goofy fun for a couple hours. I don't know that I'm that familiar with that uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? How does that work? What? I'm... I don't even know what to say to you. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? I'm, just, I'm saying it for all the listeners who might not know. Um, it, it started as um, um, a British show back uh, in the last century, uh, 1987, um, where there would be four improvisers who were issued challenge by the host, and all the suggestions would come from the audience, and they would just make up scenes. And then it moved to America with... Um, Drew Carey is the host, and now it's currently in its 105th season with Aisha Tyler. <laughs> here, here. He's Colin Mockery from Whose Line Is It Anyway? I have a question for you. When it comes to improv, something that you are immensely talented at, are you born being able to do that, or do you have to learn how to do it? Because I know they have like improv classes and things, but is it just something innate that you can think that quickly and, and that funny on your feet? Uh, yeah, I think it, there is a uh, hidden talent for that, but you can also learn how to improvise. It's And, you know, people always say, how can you do that? It's just so difficult, and it really isn't. Uh, it's The only reason it seems difficult is because you have to do things you don't do in real life, which is listen to people and accept their ideas. And that's basically it. You're on your way. Wow. Okay, so uh, is it always a win, or are there some times where you're like, oh, where you got to struggle a little bit, and how do you get past that? How do you make it a win? Oh, you just keep, you just be fully committed, and if you can, blame the audience. <laughs> yes. Priceless. Oh, that's how you do it. Colin Mockery and uh, Brad Sherwood, the Scared Scriptless Tour, next Thursday night coming, uh, uh, and wh- where is this one at? Genesee Theater. Genesee Theater. Sorry. Okay. I, oh, there it is in the top corner. I missed that part. I apologize. Um, so I got lots of questions. Colin, I've got questions. Okay. Okay. I understand. For, we'll we'll leave out what a what an Astro Carey is. That's I'm, I kid because I love. But what when in today's day and age, yeah. and I I get a sense that comedy in general is maybe harder than it has been before there's been plenty of uh, uh headlines of comedians quote unquote getting in trouble for jokes my i got to believe that if you're doing improv on top of that i mean that's really like working without a net H- how do you how do you walk that fine line it, yeah it is hard and i think we kind of realized early on we can't think about that stuff we have to trust that what we're doing you know, we never get into the hard political stuff right. or anything like that. It's just goofy. So there have been times where you'll say something and the audience goes, ooh. And you have to go <laughs> back and go, wait a minute, what? what? And you, there's sometimes it is such a long journey to find how to be offended by what was just said. It's not really <laughs> worth it. So, you know, we can't spend time worrying about that. I, we, I mean, we know who we are. We don't offend. We're out just to have fun. And... Uh, the uh, if the audience comes and is ready to accept that, everything will be fine. Do you find audiences uh, today in this COVID world uh, are do they react a little bit differently than your your usual audience? They're just excited, I think, to be out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we first came back after uh, COVID, you know, you could feel in the audience there was still a little reticence of 
Uh, I don't know if this is a good idea. And then that quickly just gave way to, oh, my God, we're out watching something outside of our house wearing pants. This is great. Wow. Okay, so again, you're a, a graduate, if you will, an alum of uh, a part of that that great Second City uh, um, troupe, uh, which has churned out some amazing, amazing comedians, to say the least. You're just the, the one of one of many in a long line of it. Is that still the path? It strikes me with things like you know TikTok and Instagram, and people are finding different ways to. To perform different ways to find an audience. Do they all end up in the same spot? And is it starting to get a little crowded at the top? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, the beauty is certainly as compared to when I was uh, growing up and going through the system, there's uh, it's much easier to get your stuff out there. But still, it's going to be um, the talent of the performer. I mean, there can be a lot of stuff out there. You know, about 80 percent of it's going to be crap. And the the cream will rise, and um, just getting your stuff out there is basically the first major hurdle you have to get through just to get any sort of notice. So if you have the talent to back that up, you're on your way. So have you always been funny, even when you were little? Uh, no, I was um, I was very quiet. I was shy. I was a bookworm, and that changed when I got my first laugh in a school play, and then I became, I guess slightly deranged and think oh, this is what I want. It was almost what I imagine being hooked on heroin is. It, it was an immediate high and it's like, I want this all the time. But you didn't know ahead of time you, you wanted it. You, it. It happened just spontaneously and you realized that was it? Yeah, I was planning to become a marine biologist. So I think it worked. Okay, out I can't tell if you're kidding or not because really? Oh no, it's true. Yes, I was heavily <laughs> into sciences. That was my thing. And um, then because I was so shy, a friend dared me to try out for the school play, which I got. And that was uh, that was it. Wow. I, l- listen, it's going to be a fantastic night uh, of comedy, of improv. Uh, and uh, uh, I guess it means literally every show is different, right? I mean, no two, sh- two shows are, are, are going to be alike. Yeah. The beauty of this show is it's this show is for you. There, no one else is going to see this show. This is the opening and closing of this particular show because every suggestion we're going to get is different from every other night. Sure. Uh, what we do with those suggestions is going to be different. We change the games every show. So it really is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Fantastic. Scared scriptless. Colin Mockery and Brad Sherwood. It's coming here next week. That's Thursday night, February 10th the show is at 7 30 colin we wish you the best luck have a safe trip here to chicago and have an awesome awesome show oh thank you so much for having me on outstanding thank you yeah i, I mean the world of improv is 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 a whole nother thing like you can be funny stand-up comedian and in case you didn't know most stand-up comedians have a script they they write down their jokes they they know where they're going improv you walk up on stage and say I don't know where That's this is the headed. hardest of the hard. I don't know where this I is think. going next. Yeah. Having been on stage, that is so difficult. Yeah, throw out a situation. Throw out a famous person. You know, da, da, da. Seriously, I, I, I wasn't buying it. When he, I'm like, yeah, marine biologist. Marine sure. Bi- yeah, sure, you were shy and he quiet. He's Canadian, for God's yeah. sake. They don't know the Hilarious. difference out there, right? And a good morning to you. A happy Thursday. Bruce and Judy with you. And uh, technology is all around us. Uh, we are constantly evolving. 
think about all of the uh, advancements, robotics, automation that we have today that that we didn't have five years ago, ten years ago. I mean, you don't even have to go back that far uh, to realize. My goodness, we've come a long way in a short period of time. One thing that we have out there right now, and maybe Tesla is the greatest example of it, are these self-driving cars. And I say self-driving. It has it has a mode mm-hmm. where you can basically take your hands off the wheel. It's autonomous driving, I guess, is the word yeah. I like to use. I mean, Lincoln now had like one of their, I just mm-hmm. saw it with them, you know, uh, and, and what it is is it just keeps taking technology and going farther and further. We've, we've had for a while... Um, do you have you ever driven one of those cars where if you get outside of the lane, it shakes the steering wheel? Yeah. Lane departure oh, yeah. warning, yeah, like a like a blinker or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, other ones that will will try if the vehicle in front of you stops suddenly, like your car will hit the brakes even if you didn't hit the brakes. It won't yeah. let you drive headlong into it. I have adaptive cruise control on 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 my car where you you set it for. Are cops listening? Do they listen? <laughs> I know what eighty-five and then sixty-five what? and a seventy. <clears throat> I want to be safe, officer. Um, and if you come up on another car, it will maintain. It will slow you down to their speed, so you never get any closer. You'd have to change lanes, and oh, then wow. the and then the cruise control will go back to whatever speed you had it set at. But you can set your cruise control; it will never drive into the back of another car. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, because my adaptive, adaptive cruise control. Because typically you have to stop it. Right. Like, if this is so you don't down. have to do it. I don't have to hit the brakes. Ah, nothing. It will just keep me from running into the back. It'll 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 stay ten car lengths back. My Honda Accord feels like it's from eighteen ninety. It now, well with that kind it of is. <laughs> so there's a lot of technology out there, and then when you combine all that stuff together you can see how you know there's ai and computers these days that can basically drive your car down the freeway you know and and for the most part a lot of this automated driving happens kind of on the open road you know yeah. uh, you, you, well and there have been a lot of problems though it's been not without its share of problems this, some, yeah these self-driving cars i mean we keep hearing about them so when we talk about going to you know public transportation or trucks I don't know. It's. I mean, obviously, we're moving forward. It's going to happen. But I think there's a uh, there's the a dangers seem to be. We haven't thought about all the dangers yet. There's a, a newness bias, I think, that goes into it, though. Uh, uh, let me use as, a, as an example. Remember when we had the? Uh, uh, I'm going to take a left turn here. When Ubers first started coming out, mm-hmm. oh my God, there was a sexual assault in an Uber. You don't know who that driver is. Can we believe that? So let me get it straight. Out of all the millions and millions of Uber rides, there were a couple. Yeah, When you went and looked at sexual assaults on public transportation and in cabs, guess what? It was about the same number, but it was because Uber was new. We thought that somehow it was uniquely more dangerous. Yeah. It wasn't uniquely more dangerous, by the way. Statistics don't prove it out. The reality is, is the self-driving vehicles, when they get into an accident or something goes wrong, it's a big deal. So how do you explain all the other accidents that happened when humans were behind the wheel? The reality is humans are worse drivers than the computers are per mile driven. It's it's just a fact. It's yeah. the number. Well, and yeah, and I guess if you look at it that way, human error is behind to almost yeah. every accident, accident isn't it? Yeah. Some 90-something percent. How, aren't there some trains that are already uh, peopleless? Driving, you know, there are, are, are yeah, in Europe. Sure. I think in Europe, yeah, why, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, train conductor can't be a long-term gig anymore, can it? I mean, yeah. why can't? Well, and it's the on conductor, a truck, for wait, God's sake! All the conductor does is take the tickets and open the doors. They yeah. don't even control the train. Yeah, I think most trains probably An engineer. S- 
Yeah. But I don't, I think most trains now are auto. I don't know if most of them are. They, I, come on. I feel I, like they are. They blow the whistle at me when I give them a little <laughs> sign. But like you said, there's like the pilot, they're just sitting there. They just sit there. They're not, it's not like they have to put the wood in the fire anymore to get the train to go. God, you hope not. <laughs> yeah. Right? You certainly <laughs> this day stoking the wood. Yeah. I think it's coal, by the way. Yeah. Just going to throw it out there. Yeah, uh, it's the wood fired trains. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Where we're also making pizza. Uh, in the, it's fantastic. You aren't going to miss this. It's a fantastic oven we have going in here. We're doing that for the passengers in, in the back. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, in that respect, I don't think we even think about that much. But now we're thinking about, I don't know, what is it? Because we're more personal because it's cars and trucks that we maybe. drive ourselves. I like driving, but planes. I know self-driving cars are coming and there's nothing right. I can do about it. You know what I'm saying? I don't drive. A, I don't fly a plane. I don't you know, operate a train. So it's kind of removed from me. Whereas, but you know, and that's why I'm more worried about it. There's, you know, like what we need. Well, there's there's lots of questions that need to be answered. Jose, he's a truck driver out there in Elmhurst. What's one of the big questions with autonomous vehicles, trucks, cars, whatever. The big question that I have, like Tesla has autopilot, right? Yeah. In an accident, who do you sue? Do you sue Tesla? Do you sue the driver? Yeah. What's going to happen with the truck? Do you sue the manufacturer of the truck? Do you sue the owner? If there's an accident, if there's an accident with a driverless vehicle, yeah, a truck, yeah. for example, yeah, okay, who's, that, who's that's going to take like twelve years to figure out. So we're good. Yeah, because yeah, can you? I mean, all these little things that have to be figured out beforehand. Yeah, no, there's no, there's no doubt yeah. about it. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the arguments they're going to make is, and it's going to be a tough one to make, is if there is a problem with the computer programming or whatever. Yeah, you've got an, an argument, but if there's all this technology built into the vehicles to avoid a collision and you drive into the side of the truck yeah that wasn't the truck's fault <laughs> it, it didn't do it to you might be one of the reasons though why you need to have your faith in humanity restored judy says she can do it for you right now well laughter is the best medicine and that goes for animals too a primatologist anthropologist and a communications professor Walking have taken a, a- <laughs> Well, they've taken a closer look at the phenomenon of laughter across the animal kingdom. They found vocal play behavior, or what might be thought of as laughter, documented in at least 65 species. That list includes a variety of primates, domestic cows and dogs, foxes, seals, mongooses, as well as parakeets and Australian magpies. Now, they say a phenomenon once thought to be particularly human turns out to be closely tied to behavior shared with species separated from humans by tens of millions of years. The researchers say paying attention to other species helps us to better understand the evolution of human social behavior. Give it a try. Go have a laugh with your furry friend. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Restoring your faith in humanity. Thank you for that, Judy. Also, thanks a lot to MG and the, the posse over there in Mission Control. They hit all the buttons and make things happen. Our introducer, Miranda. She's on the other side of the double pane bulletproof class. We've got uh, DJ Tom. Your mouth, young man. And Nick Gale, who is uh, continuing to stand by, deliver that news, traffic, and maybe some changing weather conditions coming up for you here in the Chicagoland area. That's all next right here on 890 WLS.